uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. We traveled into the future. 930 years. A one-way trip. No going back. Arms Discovery, come in. Discovery, did you copy? You have reached year 3188. Is there life here? Anywhere? Multiple life signs detected. completely disconnected but we are also together you know from around these parts the federation mostly collapsed after the burn what's the burn the burn was the day the galaxy took a hard left the federation isn't just about ships the federation is its people i've always believed that you were out there somewhere and that we were part of the federation no matter what welcome to the future dysfunction aside you all make a pretty good team. Dysfunction is the team. We've just accepted it. No, we haven't. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center. And circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8, we're going to be diving deep and discussing all things Star Trek Discovery. Uh, with us today is our longtime friend, Lord Bloodraw. Welcome again, Lord Bloodraw, to Planet 8. Oh, my lords and ladies and citizens of Planet 8, I am always thrilled to be here. Any opportunity to uh, visit this wonderful world, I'm always on board. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Straight away, let's kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob to get us started. Who, what, uh, who? Bob, <laughs> thoughts and impressions uh, with regards to Star Trek Discovery? Well, Star Trek Discovery, I actually rewatched it leading up to the podcast. Lieutenant Debbie and I got all the way through the first two seasons. We got about halfway through the third, and then I had a, I kind of skipped to the last two episodes. Yeah, I think I actually enjoyed it more the second time around, and uh, I don't know why that is. Maybe because I was, well, maybe because I was more um, into the characters. I knew what the characters were about. Instead of right. just jumping in fresh in the first season, I kind of knew what their arcs were. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know what that says about the series as a whole. If it's just not interesting first time around or you have to, you know, <laughs> get into it. Um, yes. Sonequa well. Martin-Green, I mean, I loved her in, uh, in The Walking Dead, so I had no problem with her being the lead here. Mm -hmm. And uh, Doug Jones is always great in pretty much anything he does yeah 
Um, yeah. You know, even the Silver Surfer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's going back. But, yeah. um, no, I thought, you know, the ca- the cast is good. The actors are good. The characters are good. Uh, I think it kind of strays here and there. Mm-hmm. I know they try to do like a full season story arc, which is new to Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the fad of today in TV series, but Star Trek was always pretty much standalone episodes with maybe a two or three episode arc here and there. But I know you guys are much more Trek than I am, but, yeah. <laughs> but that's my general opinion. And, yeah. you know, I think doing a full season arc, you get a lot of padding. You get a lot of stretching. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be one of the weak points of the series. But when they do it, they do it good. I mean, there are definitely some high points and some really good episodes. And like I say, there are also some fillers. But um, as a whole, I did enjoy it. And I am looking forward to season four. Mm. And we'll see where it goes from here. All right, cool. Well, I, I tell you, let's kick it over to Lord Blood Raw. Um, impressions, thoughts, Lord Bloodraw? Uh, there's a lot about Discovery that I really enjoy and really like uh, mm-hmm. on a lot of levels. And there are a lot of things about it that I totally roll my eyes out, eyes mm-hmm. at. And it's really interesting that uh, Bob brought up um, the uh, season-wide story arcs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when this show was initially pitched... It was pitched as Star Trek's answer to American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be one season, one group of characters, one story, next season, something right. totally different. And if you look at, and they kind of trashed that. Well, they didn't trash it all the way, they, but they kind of said, no, we need running characters because Star Trek fans need characters to follow, blah, 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 which I don't agree with at all. But anyway, um, and if you look at it, season one is the first Klingon War. Season two belongs to Pike, and right. season three is the far future. Mm-hmm. Now, if they had just, I, you shouldn't really judge what is by what could have been. I don't think, but if they had just gone with that, gone full on, just telling the story of the first Klingon War, and gone full on with a Pike adventure, and then full on with the, the far future, I think that they wouldn't have to twist themselves into knots to get the um, to get the uh, canon correct. Discovery should never have existed 10 years before Kirk's Enterprise. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And the kind of the ridiculous things like uh, just, just bring up one scene in, in season two. Well, first of all, Discovery has holographic communications the way you would in the 23rd century. I mean, you would. Unless, when they unless, you're, or, unless you're Lorca, right? Uh, but, Wasn't Lorca well, yeah, like right, the holdback? Right. He, he wanted the screens and not the holograms? Well, no, it was it was oh, Pike. 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 It was Pike. Oh, Pike, yeah. that's right. Pike says, yeah, because the reason, and <laughs> the reason they bring Pike on board the Discovery is because the, the Enterprise is damaged in some way. Mm-hmm. Which they never exactly. explain. 
explain. No, they do explain. Well, but... It was the holographic communication system. So Pike says, well, this ship will never have... I never liked it anyway. This ship will never have a holographic communication system. That's it, ridiculous. It, yeah, and it had something to do with the red signals and the hologram. Yeah. But it's it's gobbledygook. Yeah. It doesn't it's make any sense. It's gobbledygook. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, it's exactly. like the brakes gave out on my car, so my new car is not going to have brakes. Yeah, now, see, the, these are Trekkies because it's like this make-believe show. And it's like, no, no, no. The logic does not exist that they can have holograms because no, but I love it. I, I there mean, are certain things yeah. like internal consistency. If yeah. you tell me that, you know, the magic spell works because I eat a mushroom and I do a flip and then I can do a magic spell, then by God, the next time you do a magic spell, you better eat a mushroom and do a flip. Yeah. If you eat a cucumber and do a flip, I'm going to be like, wait a minute, what happened to the mushroom? Agreed. I can accept the reality of your system if you're consistent with it. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I remember I, the first season I was fascinated with the spore drive. I thought this is a really interesting science fiction concept. How are they going to tie this into canon? Where is this? Where is this going to go? Why? Why wasn't the Enterprise using the spore drive going all going everywhere? You know, in, in the in the blink of an eye, because <laughs> the writers just said, "Well, we'll just write it, and we'll figure that out later." You know, this incredible technology that doesn't use dilithium. Well, I guess it's shown later to be kind of slightly harmful to the mycelial network, which we've totally forgotten about now, right? <laughs> and now they just go with it. Yeah, Discovery zipping around the galaxy now using this uh, mycelial network and, you know, mm -hmm. to put the Federation back together. That's my biggest complaint is that they throw things in one to try to cram it into continuity and two to make connections to the original Star Trek that either make no sense or add nothing. The fact, well, not the yes. fact, but making Michael Burnham Spock's adopted sister adds nothing to her character no. at all. It's just, hey, Star Trek fans know Spock. We'll tie this in in some way. Uh -huh. It makes it makes no difference to her mm -hmm. character. It did in the beginning. Now, I mean, like I said earlier, no Star Trek character in the history of the show has ever cried as much as Michael Burnham. <laughs> now, if her, if her Vulcan upbringing came into play if during intense emotional situations you see her on the verge but then she's able to use that Vulcan reserve that she was raised with then it's a viable part, part of her character. Now it's just like it's another detail that they just introduced when they needed it and then threw it away. Well she never went through the colonar. She didn't purge all emotion. No. She did leave Vulcan in her formidable teenage right. years, but they, right. they could have they could have just written her as a human who was raised by Vulcans, much yes. the way Worf was a Klingon raised by humans. So right. they could have had that same sort of storyline or background rather for her that like they had for for Worf. Just right. while she you know parents were killed, she was raised by Vulcans and left it at that. But the, yeah, the connection to Spock, it's like, why? Why are you going to do that? It, exactly. It, it really doesn't do anything. It doesn't 
serve either character well. Right. It's as if as if Worf had and been yeah, raised she, by a family member of a descendant of Kirk's. Right. You know, it's like, okay, what does that add to the character? That's nothing. It's just a touch point. Right. To the well, series. I think the yeah. I think the series like. Yeah, they made, for whatever reason, they made the decision to be in the timeline that they're in, or that they were in. And they had all these grand ideas, but it's like, oh, wait, we can't use that because it wasn't invented yet when Kirk took over the Enterprise. And I think that's when they, you know, after the second season, they bounced them 930 years into the future. Exactly. Now we can do anything. Then Spock's long dead. We don't have to worry about that anymore. And now we're free to do whatever. And from what I understand, I guess next season they're going to stay 930 years in the future. So all yeah. bets are off, in basically. A, a yeah. very unimaginative future where it looks pretty much like what they left, where humans are still very human. The ships look pretty much like the ships. I mean, 900 years, I mean, people shouldn't even look like people anymore. It's just, it's it's a real failure of the imagination. <laughs> so, thoughts and impressions yeah. of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but no, I, I mean, mean the the main thing with uh, 930 years in the future is like the nacelles aren't attached to the ships, and the robots' heads aren't attached to the bodies, and everything's all magnetic. Programmable matter. You know, yeah. yeah, that's that's such a grand achievement. The thing is, I really want to like Star Trek. I've had Star Trek in my life all my life. You know, the the two main things that molded my childhood were Marvel Comics and Star Trek. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to hate this show. I don't <laughs> want to be disappointed in this show. And I've really tried to like it and give it a lot of leeway. But after three seasons, I have to say, I, I'm really disappointed in, in the show because for a lot of the things Lord Blood Ross said, I just think it's it's poorly conceived. It's poorly written. You know, they come up with things and they don't really have a fully formed idea of what they're going to do. But they're like, well, let's just do this thing. And it's kind of half baked, you know, um, the science doesn't make a lot of sense. And sure, you know, we had a lot of techno babble in Trek before, but it seemed like it was, you know, fairly conceived. Like I was thinking about the whole time crystals thing that they had in the second season, you know, I, it, I was like, well, what does the time crystal do? Is it, does it have chronotons? That was the old conceit was like a chronotons were a time particle or something. At least like we had the slingshotting around the sun. I, that didn't make a whole lot of sense before, but it was sort of like they kind of explained you'd go around the sun and you'd yeah. go back in time. But like the time crystal, I never understood like what, Okay, you had a time crystal. That sounded more like something you'd have in like Lord of the Rings than For Doctor Who. Yeah. So right. Maybe it's so like it's, an infinity it, stone. It's yeah. just disappointing well, in the pop. sense that I think they come up with a lot of stuff, but it's very half baked. Yeah. Um, again, the idea that it's um, following one arc through the entire season, I think it's very hard for them to maintain that over the length of a say 14 episode season. So we do get a lot of uh, uh, padding throughout the show and the characters, you know, having the focus on one character, you know, having a central character and then having, you know, a couple of peripheral characters, there's not a lot of development mm. of other characters. I think, 
sure, classic Trek, we really focused on three main characters. But since then, we've had an ensemble show, and that's been very enjoyable. You know, you'd have, like, Next Generation, you might focus on Picard one week, Data the next week, Riker, Worf. Everybody would get their episodes. Mm -hmm. I think with both the format they have and the way they're choosing to do this, it's almost always the Michael Burnham show or whoever the captain is, right? So Mm -hmm. Lorca or Pike or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they just started in this, it's only by like the second or third season you even start to know the names of the other people on the bridge. We don't really know anything much about them, which is kind of disappointing from the viewpoint of a Star Trek fan. You kind of want to know who the other people are and what they, you know, at least a few character traits. Yeah, It's frustrating in the sense to of having a perfect character. Burnham is is apparently flawless and I don't think she is flawless I'm frustrated by the fact that she continually goes out and and disobeys orders and yet is patted on the back for it I mean the thing is it's one thing if you were like in the original series where a lot of times Kirk had to sometimes make decisions because you know Starfleet he's out on the frontier and Starfleet doesn't know what's going on and so maybe he had to bend the prime directive sometimes but it's another thing to disobey your captain's orders or let down your crew your fellow crewmates you know you have to build trust and honor amongst your your team and she's constantly just you know like in the third season she made Saru look like an idiot constantly and he finally did demote her mm-hmm. but it was sort of like then at the end she's becomes captain after everything she does so there's never any penalty for her and her bad behavior And I don't think she ever learns anything. You know, she goes from the first season being a mutineer, actually striking and knocking out her captain and doing all this other stuff. And I don't know that there's ever a learning process for her. Right. Yeah, she started the Klingon War. Yeah. She began the Klingon War. The biggest biggest problem I see is, again, taking one character specifically, but – this ship and this group of characters through these scenarios. If they had just told the story within each timeline using just characters that are going to be in that season, just that, I think it, I think it would have been, a, it would be a far better TV show. Like in, in the current, in the third season, having the main drive of it be having to find a new faster than light drive because the dilithium is gone and the development of the spore drive and Stamets in that time discovering Mm -hmm. the drive. Michael Burnham being a rebel during that time because she was raised pre uh, uh, after the burn Mm -hmm. when things were rougher. There's uh, there's the biggest problem is, again, they go through these contortions to take this band of characters through these through these scenarios when it just wasn't it wasn't necessary and uh, you know but i will you know on a positive note i think that there are a lot of really good things that came out of it i love pike i mm-hmm. love pike's character and i like what they do what they did with him in that he knows his future now yeah that adds a lot to that, that character i think that yeah, was, that that was a pretty jarring episode, I gotta say. It really was. Yeah, I know, agree. He has, to, he has to yeah. face his future, and yeah, 
No, yeah, right. knowing the outcome and still being the caliber of a person that you're going to still save the lives and make the sacrifices, even though you are going to pay a very heavy price. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there there, there are there are a lot of bright spots in the show. Uh, it's downfall is to me is just this stubborn adherence to having to have an ensemble cast all the way through every season. Mm -hmm. I mean, they should have looked at American horror story and said, yes, perfect. Perfect. You can have the same actors appearing. Yeah. Sure. In different roles. Beautiful. American horror story did that. And that's great. Right. But now, real quickly, I, I will say as a fan of American Horror Story, at least the first three or four seasons, especially this last one, 1984 it, it, or whatever, the it fell apart for me. American Horror Story is not what it once was. And I don't know if it's because they no longer have Jessica Lange. Yeah. So, yeah, I can appreciate even when with an ensemble cast and changing who they're playing, you know, the dynamics of those characters it would have been interesting to have seen a Star Trek series try that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm yeah. not saying I love Discovery, but I think I've enjoyed it <laughs> immensely more than uh, Lord Blood Ron Karen. Little, you know, okay, the hologram. A lot of fans out there on, on the interwebs make a big deal about the hologram. We've never seen holographic technology. Da 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 da. We've never seen Saru or his people. We're okay with that because, you know, the way that they introduce and and explain that, eh, okay, that's believable. That that fits in, in, you know, our little Star Trek reality. Um, I, I wasn't really hung up on the hologram. Okay, Pike doesn't like it. Boom, let's move on. Let's tell a story. Yeah, Burnham starting the Klingon war. Okay, that that's a big deal. That yeah, um, I, I want to say this too. Offline, Lord Bloodron and I were talking uh, when the series would come on. I'd get a text. Hey, did you watch? Yeah, I did. What'd you think? Well, I think it was interesting, Lord Bloodron. You had said if only they would have started the series, and you kind of said this today too. Started it off nine hundred years from now, and not yeah. had to deal with you know. Yeah. Um, it it might have been a little more. I'm going to say palatable, not that it was distasteful or anything like that, but it would have been easier to watch and kind of accept. Um, the second season, my man crush is Captain Pike. I mean, that He's actor, I've, I've never seen him. There was like a motorcycle show my uh, wife was telling me about he was in and stuff. I never caught him in anything else, but Anson Mount, fantastic mm-hmm. uh, job as, as Captain Pike. I'm looking forward to New Worlds. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I love Saru. I think Saru should oh, yeah. be part of the show and not Michael. I, I mean... I think he's the best thing on the show. He's the most, like, Starfleet-type character, actually. Well said, Karen. Yes, I agree yes. with you. Um, well, I mean, he's the only one that seems like a leader. Right. I mean, Burnham is not a leader. Tilly definitely is not a leader. Oh, poor Tilly. Yeah, I like right. Tilly a lot. I like Tilly a lot. She's not a leader, but I, I do like Tilly a lot. No, I, no, I, she's, she's fine as a character, but uh, yeah, you wouldn't want her in charge of your starship, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, not I, yet. No. Well, and I will say this. Of, of all the Star Trek series that are out there, I can't watch Enterprise. I, I, I tried. Interesting. When it originally aired... Karen and I would have discussions and she was so against 
um what's the vulcan female she had that like yeah cat suit and you know, oh. well, they'd come back to the ship and they'd have to rub themselves down with that blue uh, that, so yeah. that was a low point. That was a yeah. Point. yeah. I don't think, Karen, you ever got into uh, Voyager either. I, 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 I would watch Voyager. I watched it, but I never really got into it because I never felt there was great chemistry with the, the crew. I, I to me, know. Voyager... Yeah, it was good. I mean, what they did with the Doctor, the hologram, and they kind of did what you were saying, Karen, would would maybe help Discovery is you you knew who Paris was. They gave Paris episodes uh, on that character. You knew, you know, um, the the holographic Doctor. You knew, you know, they brought in the Borg Seven of Nine, and they had a lot of good stories around that character. To me, I, I, I could watch deep space nine over and over again mm-hmm. in the, the first couple of seasons they they were not episodic you would have a dax story you would have a odo story you would have a quark story but once the dominion war started it became very episodic even within that they'd break mm-hmm. away and, and do like a miles o'brien story you know within the war without really talking about the war I wish Discovery would do something like that. Okay, you want to talk about the Red Angel. Well, let's do some other stuff besides the Red Angel um, in the second season. Yeah. And maybe it would be easier to watch. And I don't know if it's a subscription thing. It can't be because things like the Mandalorian and WandaVision and, you know, the Daredevil series and Punisher over on Netflix, that, that stuff is episodic. and. It, it works just fine. So I don't know what the solution to that is. Uh, you know, like I said, is Discovery my favorite Trek? No. If, if Deep Space Nine's on in Discovery, I'll go to Deep Space Nine. If it's the original Trek, I'd watch original Trek over porn. But um, anyway, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> How about original Trek porn? Oh, oh my! No, no! I, I yeah, those are two things I, I can't. Uh, my mind can't handle. Welcome well, if, to if Planet look, After Dark. If you look back at older TV shows before they got into the whole season-wide story arc, I mean there were story arcs, but they were like subplots. Yeah, like you'd have like the X Files. Mm-hmm. And you'd have like the government conspiracy or the black oil or whatever. Mm-hmm. It would be a season long subplot, mm-hmm. but the episodes themselves would be episodic. And every once in a while you'd have one featuring the subplot or you'd have some little, you know, part of the subplot below the episodic story. But when the subplot is front and center for the entire series, then yeah, you lose a lot of, the individuality of the characters and the episodes and things. Maybe, maybe Deep Space, maybe uh, Discovery needed a Naked Time episode. <laughs> maybe. I was talking to Karen last week, and um, you know the criticism that I have with Picard is they they ended up throwing spoiler alert. They ended up throwing his soul or whatever in in a android body, and it was like what a bizarre way to like end the series i can't think of the name of the episode it was seventh sixth or seventh episode in the first series and picard is um possessed by this alien entity 
and beams off the ship into like deep space, just spreads his monocle. So Picard is effectively dead, but somehow they had his memory and soul in, in some form of energy. And they were able to take an earlier pattern of his body from the transporter and they beamed that pattern with whatever energy and it was an earlier version of Picard, so he had no idea he got possessed by an alien and, and you know, all the harm he caused. And I'm like, God, they were farting around with that stuff, like, and I'd forgotten the episode. But they were doing strange things like that way before we got into, like, Enterprise and, and Discovery. I don't know. What's old is new and what's new is old. And if something doesn't work, do you want to try and re- tell that story what good did the klingon war do us in the first season well I mean, it was nothing mostly <laughs> right nothing really came of it it was mostly off screen right no but yeah. again nothing in terms of this group of characters if they had just told the story of the first klingon war you know you know who's doing a great job with the first klingon war is the people who are doing axanar <laughs> that's the yeah, first klingon I, I, war yeah. On that that's one, amazing. Fun. That's great stuff. They did a better job in that. I think it's a 15 minute short mm-hmm. that was the preview to Axanar yeah. than than the first season of Discovery did. Yeah, but I agree. that being said, I don't. I, I by no means hate Discovery. No, I, I I enjoy it. I watch every episode, other than the other new Star Trek series that's out there. <laughs> um, I've I've watched every episode. I've enjoyed. Overall, I've enjoyed Discovery more than I've had found bones to pick with it mm-hmm. over overall. But some of the complaints I have against Discovery are fairly are fairly big ones. <laughs> and it's more about just it, you know something's wrong in a series or in any kind of dramatic piece, I guess, when you can see the mechanism behind it. Mm. When you can say, oh, they did this because fan service or they did this because they're trying to twist it into this continuity or they did this because of that. Anytime you see that, it kind of takes you out of the story Mm -hmm. and uh, you're not. Yeah, you're not enchanted or or Mm -hmm. intrigued the way really good Star Trek or good science fiction in general does. Right. And I think that Discovery is is often guilty of that, but they often do do some pretty pretty good stories. They all, they they give you some pretty good moments. The 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 Pike, uh, you know, his discovery of um, of his future was was very good. The uh, Saru's entire storyline, I, I really oh, enjoy yeah. coming from you know simple kelp farmer to mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the 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 um, the mirror universe storyline. I really I really enjoyed that. I really the one with Lorca. Uh, you know, and Lorca, I will say I, yeah. I miss Captain Lorca. That, that I was a liked good, him. Yeah, yeah, he was really good, and I almost wish he hadn't been from the mirror universe. I kind of wish he had just been a feder a Starfleet captain who had been through so much that he'd kind of gone dark. You yeah. know, and just kind of been a little bit crazy. We we've, we've seen kind of crazy captains in in we've Star Trek before. Benjamin Sisko's best friend was a big part of the Maquis, and it, and it mm-hmm. killed Benjamin. I mean, you know, it happens. But we've never had them in charge of the ship we were 
focused on, you know, so I, I kind of wish maybe we'd just had that, but we sort of knew, I mean, there were hints even before the show came on that, oh, the mirror universe is going to be involved, mirror universe. So you kind of got that feeling like, oh, maybe, the, maybe he's from the mirror universe because he's acting so weird. Even so, if he was, I would have liked to have seen Lorca start up section 31, is it? Or yeah. you know, mm. the other guy that they used, which was an AI. I think, and and keep him in the show then at that point because, you know, he he just you know would have worked that way. I just my and and the 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 first season being the first Klingon war. Mm -hmm. What did the mirror universe add to that? Well, it didn't add anything to that storyline. It was just you know right. They could have. I, I like the Ash character. I I like the idea, you know, the ultimate sacrifice that he went from being Klingon to human and the breaking of the bones and, right. you know, all of that. Um, His religious zealotry was interesting. Yeah. You know, I, you could have kept that to an episode or two, and I think. <laughs> well, tell you what, you yeah. techies, explain Klingons to me, because it's like. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the original series, there were just guys with goatees. And then, you know, Worf came into play. Well, actually, I guess Star Trek Motion Picture came into play and they had all the makeup on. And then now they look totally different in Discovery. But this is actually happening before the original (laughs) series. So you couldn't really say, well, they went from guys and goatees. You know, they evolved into this other Klingon. No, now it's like they went from, you know, one type of Klingon to Earthlings with goatees back to some other type of Klingon. And I, explain this to me in Trek Chief. science terms. It, well, it, in the words of, of Worf, we do not discuss this we with do all not. worlders. Well, Enterprise did a nice job of, of explaining it in that the Klingons were use some human DNA to try to create super Klingon warriors. And at this point, they were the bridged Klingons. Uh, But instead of creating super warriors, they created this plague that began killing Klingons by the millions. And the only way that they could find a cure for it was to use a human DNA vaccine essentially that they got rid of the eliminated the ridges so for a time they had no ridges which that time was the original series how they got their ridges back i don't did they (laughs) we got better klingons got their ridges now we're talking fairy tales like ruffles or smooth yeah i don't know yeah i don't know that they ever explained how they got it back yeah i thought it was a a clever little episode that they had on enterprise that was good i actually did come to enjoy enterprise uh to some degree they had a few good episodes here and there and the fourth season was pretty good it was (laughs) when they knew they were canceled it's like hey Let's tell some interesting stories. Well, I, I give Walker a hard time. I said, in 20 years, you'll come to enjoy Discovery more so than now. <laughs> well, Just for I, the nostalgia. I may not be all there in 20 years, I'm sure. <laughs> Once you're senile, it'll all make sense. I love this show. What is this again? 
Well, I, I, it blew my mind when when Karen had said, oh, I started watching uh, Star Trek Enterprise. And I'm like, shut the front door. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's pretty good. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what Discovery drove me to. <laughs> I will say Discovery is without a doubt the best looking Star Trek Ever, I mean, every episode oh, looks movie true. quality. Um, that is true. It's it's you know gorgeous production. It's just yeah, it's yeah. Why do the Klingons look like they do? And I'm not going to ask any more questions. It's but it's yeah, too. It's like a new series. Makeup technology has has uh, improved immensely. Let's make the Klingons look really alien. It's like yeah, fine, but we know what a Klingon is. You know, invent invent all the alien races you want, but we know what a Klingon is. Mm-hmm. You know that that yeah that that made very little sense to me. Well, you know, I mean, this is just a quick little anecdote, but when Gene Roddenberry did the first Star Trek movie, he wanted the Klingons to be very alien. They were yeah. supposed to be uh, their ships weren't supposed to have gravity, and they had four appendages with with. Um, like tentacled hands on each of the appendages and they were going to be floating around their ships and he wanted to go way alien mm-hmm. and I'm really glad they kind of pulled him back <laughs> come on Gene come on yeah Gene. that might have been too much but I remember people you know bitching and moaning when they saw the first Klingons from the motion picture and the spine over the head and they were like what the what the hell is that supposed to be yeah and it you know, so I, I do have to kind of remind myself, like, well, okay, yeah, you've been watching this stuff for, you know, how many years now? And so, yeah, it's it's like, yeah, it's, it's going to change. And maybe they're making this show for, you know, a different audience. Maybe it's not for me anymore. Oh, yeah, wow. It's not you know? my Star Trek. Well, what if they, you know, what they could have done is they could have made Klingons look like Klingons in the first season. And then when they made the jump 930 years in the future, maybe that's when they look like they do in the first season. There you go. There's another another evolution of Klingons. Absolutely. I think the folks at Paramount are so sick and tired of of Klingons (laughs) that they just wanted to go with whatever look. But they just keep bringing them back. Yeah, I like that idea, Bob. I I think that would have worked well, but um, they could have even been like a radical sect of Klingons, a, a right. offshoot, another. Ra- they could do so many right. things. Right. Yeah. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, just like the Romulans and the Remulans, and the Remulans looked like vampires, and well, yeah. no, actually, that didn't really work. The Nosferatu <laughs> planet. Yeah. Nosferatu. Oh yeah. Right. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. I, I I do like in Discovery. I do like that the aliens do look more alien. I mean, like the Orions, they didn't just slap green makeup on them. They're right. they, they almost look like they have acromegaly. Yeah, it's kind of weird <laughs> to me. Their facial features are are bulky and and exaggerated. You know, yeah. And they change they change the look of the Andorians. Too right. to make them more their faces more ridge like and 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 angular and I like that it, I, I think I think that looks great you know but it wasn't really like that, a radical change though mm-hmm. not that not it was like an enhancement more than a change yeah, there you go. An were a total rather than a change. right yes 
Right. Yes, One of the things yeah. I liked is that the Orion, you know, they're not slave girls anymore. These are real threats. Yeah, too bad they had to paint it a villain, to paint the person a villain. But I think there are a lot of stories and concepts and characters that were introduced in Discovery. I can't think of the teenage girl, but, you know. Adira? Yeah, Adira. Adira, oh. yeah. I, I, I like her a lot. That, I like them a lot. You know, like we have to look at what is a non-binary, you know, or yeah. whatever, LBGQ. Right. Um, because if we're living in that time period now, what's it going to look like 200 years from now? I mean, the next generation actually had a good episode, too, where Riker fell in love with that one alien. And it was a non-gender uh, – I can't think of the name of the episode. So, so you know, we yeah. see – that uh, obviously in Deep Space Nine, and uh, I don't think Voyager really delved into there, but it's it's very. I, I think they're doing a good job in making some of the characters relatable to new fans. We mm-hmm. we old farts have to accept the fact that there may be viewers of Discovery that have never seen the original Star Trek. What this? All <laughs> <laughs> right, no, just, you're right. You're absolutely right. How can this and be? They love lower decks. I, you know, I have nieces and nephews that are like, you don't like lower decks. Oh. You don't watch. Uh, God, what was that show that I couldn't stand? Uh, um, the guy that does Family Guy. He did a Star Trek knockoff. Oh, or, 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 the Orville. Orville. I I could not get into the Orville. I, okay. Did you did you only watch the first season? Um, you didn't even make it through that. Season. Okay, yeah. forget the first season. If you can pick up the second season, honestly, I have never seen, and I, I'm with you. I did yeah. not like the Orville first season. Second yeah. season, I could not believe the turnaround really? in that series, and it's because some writers had left uh, Star Trek and gone over to Orville. Okay, and it becomes an interesting science fiction show starting season two. They weren't trying to make so many stupid jokes. It was yeah, she, check, season check out, one kind of one or two episodes of season. Season two. one started oh. off as a parody. Yeah, and then I think what it was, I think they got it on the air as a parody, and then once it was on the air and it did okay, they were free to kind of move it towards what they really wanted to do. Maybe that's it. Yeah, Seth MacFarlane is like a huge Star Trek fan, and he just wanted huge. to he wanted yeah. to make Star Trek and star in it. And it's like, right. I think the only way that he could, you know, he's known as a funny guy. So the yeah. only way you could get a Seth MacFarlane star, uh, star Trek type show on the air was to make it a parody. Yeah. But one, yeah. but he was able to move it towards you know another direction, and no, I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Ch- check out check out a, at least a couple episodes in the second I will. season. There, I, I will. They do some very very interesting. My cousin in law, we would we would have dinners Friday night with my in laws and and that side of the family before COVID, and he would always tell me it's it's more Star Trek than Star Trek, and I'm like, ah, oh, Kurt, I don't know, man. I just you know, <laughs> you know what? Second season, that. second season at the time, second season came out. I'll yeah. agree. Okay. I'll agree. All right. I'm going to check had it out. More, it had more of the Star Trek flavor to it than anything else that was on TV at that time. I won't say okay. that now. Um, I'll give it a 
I know the Chiefs talked uh, very uh, good about it as well. So based on your guys's joint recommendation, mm. I will uh, I will uh, endeavor to watch Pretend the orc. season one didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but so back to I discovery. digress. Back to yes. discovery. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Here, here's a question for you guys. Okay. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a Star Trek villain more wooden? And uninteresting as what was her name, Osiris or whatever, in the last. Osiris. They kind of threw her in the last two episodes of the third season and just. She was like totally uninteresting. Yeah. You know, she was. Yeah. Her performance was wooden. Yeah, she was just painted Vernon green. Here she her. is. Because yeah. that's the Starfleet way. <laughs> we right are Starfleet. Too. Yeah. And there, too, you mentioned because she was an Orion. Orion women used to be just slave girls. And I think in the original series, they couldn't even speak. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So they would just dance and do other things. Yeah. But <laughs> now, Von they, Craig. now they can. In the future, they can. So I think that would have been an interesting thing for her to carry that. With I her. wish I I yeah. agree with you I you know yeah. they they made her a villain and it's like you you're gonna emancipate this this race and make them bad guys I mean ah. yeah. I mean for her to say at one point I'm a female Orion mm-hmm. and you know centuries ago we were we were no more than animals and we fought yeah. for you know they just to bring that give her something good God yeah. give Go her something they- to make her interesting. Go, yeah. Enterprise covered this too, right? They had the whole thing with the Orions and showed that the women were actually more control or or more intelligent and and capable than we had originally thought. You're right. Because there was an episode. Oh, somebody woke up. Cadet Campbell is giving me the alert the satellite's being attacked, apparently. I'll let him handle it anyway. But yeah, there was was an Enterprise episode. I don't remember all the details, but I remember they encountered the Orions and it turned out the women were actually more intelligent than they let on. Um, I've forgotten about that. Yeah. But, you know, not everybody's going to remember that. But they could have done something with with Osira. She was pretty one note. Yeah. And then, yeah, shockingly, Michael gets in a fist fight because I think we have to have a fist fight every episode. And she doesn't capture her or do anything like that. She just kills her because, you know, let's just kill everybody. That seemed you know, to happen it, a lot funny. in the third season. It's mm. funny people's perspectives. Uh, Jasmine has a friend, May, uh, who had never watched an episode of Star Trek and May's fiance. Uh, John's a big fan, so they've been watching original Star Trek, and um, she's seen some Next Generation. And I'll say, "Oh well, did you see the episode where Kirk, y- you know?" And she's like, "Kirk, which one's Kirk?" I'm like, "You know, the one, on the- oh, the one that bitch slaps people all the time." How <laughs> oh, you know Captain Kirk? He bitch slaps people all the time. <laughs> I never saw Kirk that way, but okay, well, I guess. That's what she sees in the original Star Trek. So, yeah. oh no! And actually, the Kirk the Kirk move is the double fist to the back. <laughs> right, everybody knows that. Or the flying and the Kirk kick. kick and the drop kick, the flying drop kick. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so uh, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, Michael, Michael punches people and shoots people and you know, punches that's... book in that first episode of season three, I think like five times. Yeah. <laughs> but she, does, she did actually time. use the uh, Vulcan neck pinch on Stamets in that one. Yes. One episode. That's true. And she went to all that trouble to shoot him off the ship because <laughs> he was the only one that controls the spore drive. But then, oh, wait, no, Book can do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Yeah. Out of nowhere, like Book that. has the power. Uh, do we even dare talk about Spock and. Well, you know, we're coming towards the end. I think now's a good time to talk about our dislike of Spock. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm okay. Where, where do we want to? <laughs> I'm okay with this actor's portrayal of Spock. I think he's doing the best with what they're giving him mm. for Spock to do. Um, Spock is one of those characters that now, sadly, is way overused mm-hmm. in Star Trek. He was a fascinating character, an interesting character, a great character. I love Spock. He cannot be all things everywhere. You know, yeah. he can't be. You look at the Mandalorian and how they utilized Luke Skywalker, which if I think too hard on it, I, I may just start crying right now. <laughs> season that was finale that touched was me. Anyway, and well, I heard that in the next season they're going to add Spock. <laughs> and he's, he's also he's going Spider-Man. to be in Spider-Man Three. Yeah, I, you know, I I liked Zachary Quinto's Spock in the J.J. Abrams the Kelvin universe. Yeah, he was uh, good. He was he was good. He was you know. Everybody's too emotional though. Yeah, all the I other mean, Spocks. They don't understand how to to like be emotional without being emotional. The way I mean, exactly. Nimoy could do it. That was Nimoy's strength. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, everything right. was just just below the surface, and you could see it. Right, you could feel yeah. it. And I'm going to agree with Lord Bloodroy. I think this guy he has a nice voice. I, I like his voice. <laughs> it's very deep, but he he's just doing the best with with what he has. Mm-hmm. Um, how they will utilize him in new worlds. I don't know. We'll see. Well, in the, in the cage, in the original pilot, there's mm-hmm. that one scene where Spock like is on Talos four and he sees the plant and he smiles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think they like took that one scene and they kind of ran yes. with it when they introduced Spock into, into discovery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm, I'm actually okay with that because it is a much younger, Spock mm-hmm. kind of still feeling his way, still trying to fit in among a crew of humans. So I'm okay with that happening occasionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the short track with him and number one in the turbo lift, I thought that was horrible. I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. Care that um, we, we haven't I, even I, discussed I, turbo lifts. <laughs> There's a lot of wasted space on discovery. Just, uh, housing oh those turbo God, lifts, you know. Yes. <laughs> mm, the, the, the turbo lift shafts are like it, it, it's, an, it's a whole separate universe. <laughs> well, wait a minute. No, no, no. What am I? Th- I'm thinking of what am I thinking? I'm thinking of Star, uh, some another Star Trek. 
No, it was the third season. It was the finale where they fell into the turbo shaft, and apparently it was like a city inside Discovery. So it is Discovery, right, yes. Yes, yes, yes. It is like a city. Instead of discrete shafts, which traverse the ship, it's just big open space. Yeah. Because, you know, you have lots of room inside of a ship. Right, yeah. So For what the... They've, they've got the technology to make the, the turbo shafts like a, an entire subspace realm, right. right? Where it's like the TARDIS. It's exactly. like the TARDIS yeah, inside like, the yeah, ship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet they're making uh, apples out of human waste. So go figure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when they've got an orbital um, rainforest. <laughs> yeah. One of the first things we see in Federation headquarters season three is an orbital rainforest. <laughs> but the guy's only eaten crap apples here's here's another <laughs> question for you so i i i rewatched uh season two this week because i'd already rewatched season one like a couple months ago so when they're having the big battle with the ai ships and you know enterprise and and discovery are trying to hold out and they're getting shot at and everything there's all this debris falling on the bridge of both ships the debris it's rocks it's like it looks like rocks. How how do you shoot a starship and have rocks falling inside the bridge? Is the ship made out of rock? Acoustic tiling and well, the the um, transparent aluminum of that era is actually uh, meant to be shatterproof, like the windshields of a vehicle, so that it won't directly. No, I. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. That, that's I always... feel like I'm on an episode of the Liars Club. Well, this looks like, <laughs> but actually, uh... you would do quite well. On, that, on you know, that that, that's brilliant. Thank you. Being being a Star Trek geek is a bit like being a member of the Liars Club because they tend to throw so many things at you that loving Star Trek, you really, really try to justify. It's like, well, you know, the technology then would, you know, if it was, you know, if, if they if this character did this. So, yeah, we've Try, trying to it. explain Dis the unexplainable. That's right. Yeah. Discovery throws far too many things at really loving, loyal Star Trek fans that we have to try to rationalize and some of it we can't do. You know, the writers the might be sitting around in a back room going, let's see how we can mess with them now. <laughs> I mean, at least in Star Trek 2, when like the Reliant is getting blown up, there's like metal girders, there's wires, mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. things falling and you're like, okay, it's a starship. That's the kind of debris I expect to see not like rocks <laughs> i just i i don't know maybe i expect too much maybe i ask oh, too much maybe maybe saru has a collection of rocks that he stores above the uh <laughs> above, <laughs> above the, bridge the bridge in this little storage area my rock collection one of the greatest joys i have at this stage in my life is when my nieces call me and they're like have you watched wandavision i'm like yeah mm -hmm. Why is Pietro the guy from the X and just having this? Well, you know, financially, this is probably why they did it. But as far as the story goes, here's some theories. I just love it. They haven't asked me any Star Trek questions yet, but we've uh. we've taken a couple of deep dives into the. Uh, they're big fans of the first trilogy. Um, they're okay with the original three Star Wars films, but they'll oh. go back. So is, is Grogu then Yoda's nephew or son? I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> according to Ahsoka Tano, we, you know, um, 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. If, if they ever start okay. watching Discovery, I'm going to bring you guys online with me and I'll so, explain. <laughs> so I have a question. For You're not everybody. another one, Walker. Come on. That's all I do. It's what I live for. <laughs> which, at this point, which series are you more excited for? Are you more excited for season four of Discovery or season one of Strange New Worlds? Season Strange one. New Strange Worlds. New Worlds. Yeah, strange new world. <laughs> Abstain? Well, no, no. I th- I think you know, next season of the Mandalorian probably. That was, <laughs> that was not the option. We I'm all looking, know. I'm looking we forward to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Actually, um, <laughs> I, I no, I think you know, forward. strange new worlds probably because hey, we're starting from scratch again, right? Kind of sort yeah. of. I love the look of the Enterprise. And in, in that battle you were talking about, Walker, or any time they, they showed the Enterprise, I got the Eagle Moss extra large model up on the shelf next to the original series Enterprise, and it's just a thing of beauty. I got to admit, I'm looking forward to Picard season two. I, I enjoyed Picard. Again, eye-rolling moments. Yes, but over- <laughs> I'll say something controversial. I think that Picard overall had less of those kind of eye-rolling moments, less uh, internal logic conflicts than any of the seasons of, of Discovery, I think. I like what they did with char- with Picard's character in that he's a senior diplomat. He's feeling his age. Thank God they didn't try to make him do things that, you know, a person his age really wouldn't do. A couple of scenes where he's running, but eh, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> but if you watch Six Million Dollar Man run, back in the day, I it's fine. <laughs> I can't. I'm 80 years old. <laughs> I'll just duck and cover here. You go ahead. Right, yeah. But I think overall, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed what they did with Picard. I'm looking forward to season two. I was, I'll, I'll I was okay. I enjoyed the first part of Picard more so than the last part. Mm. Um... Yeah, there were some high marks, and I, you know, I did cry just about as much as Grogu meeting Luke uh, when um, the beginning of Picard and the conversations he has with Data mm-hmm. and the last coda of, of Data just basically saying, just let me go. You know, the mm-hmm. sacrifice that I made was meaningful. Why they kept him in that suspended little bubble thing for all those years, I don't know, but it was nice to say goodbye to that character because in the film... I will never watch that movie again. They just, you know, goodbye, sir. And and I was telling Karen, if, if you look at who Data is as a character from the first episode of, of Next Generation to his creating a daughter, to his saving Sharzenka, oh, yeah. going against the Prime Directive, and oh, my God. I mean, that is just one of my favorite characters, and I'm glad that they did him justice in, in yeah. Picard. So. But to be, to be fair, if... What was the name of that movie? Nemesis. If Nemesis had been a hit, B four would have slipped right into Data's shoes for the <laughs> for the next sequel because they left I, that wide open. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw them trying to do that, and I don't know. Uh, just like the ending of uh, of Discovery. I mean, Saru finds the man boy of his race, and he created the burn, and it was kind of like, kind of reminded me of of mice and men. Uh, you know. Don't squeeze the puppies too hard, Lenny. And <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you know, I almost wonder if they were 
going to write Saru out of the show because he's back on the planet, not on the ship at the end, which would be a shame because he's my favorite thing about the show, actually. I actually think Walker's out. I mean, (laughs) I actually think next season, what they'll probably do is they'll be showing, you know, episodes on on the Discovery and then you'll have like an episode here or there of Saru on the planet and, you know. Because he is part of the next season. He's he's tweeted about filming the next season. So or he may or he may come back there. after he, you know, mentors. Yeah. He has I mean, mentoring. look, it, if you want to have the perfect mashup, it would be the Grogu and Saru show. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Grogu and Saru show <laughs> co-starring Spock. Oh, gosh. <laughs> hey, but the, there's two characters, though, that we haven't talked a whole lot about Giorgio. Mm. And, you know, it's like I, I immediately liked her because I've been watching Michelle Yeoh and all these Hong Kong action movies all these years. Oh, and Michelle just amazed Yeoh's that, hey, they brought Michelle Yeoh in. Yeah. And then what about Mud? Oh. And that was, I thought that was a cool episode because you didn't, you know, you just thought, hey, here's another kind of funny, bumbling Star Trek character. Until the end, he like yells out, you know, you haven't heard the last of Harcourt Fenton Mud, and it's like, oh shoot, that was Mud the whole time. Yeah, apparently yeah, we no. have, unless he made it to the 900 year jump. Oh yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's long gone now, but he did come back for a second episode though. He did, and he might show up in New Worlds. Um, what about the Guardian of Forever? Oh, that was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, okay. I just, I, 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 there was no reason for that to be the Guardian. Why is the Guardian sudden, suddenly able to move from planet to planet, and then he becomes a humanoid form? It was just like... Guys, just make up your own original thing. Why are you try, you're trying to have the best of both worlds? Like, well, we want to do something that old Trek fans will recognize. So fan service. Yes. But we want to, you know, we want to move Georgia's story forward this certain way. It's like, it's just totally unsatisfying to me. Well, they should have just gone to the planet where it was. Go ahead. I was just going to say, they should have just gone to the planet where it was. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of finding it somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do they even is there any explanation like actually there's a network of these guardians that this race built and not all of them been found? It it said that it moved itself because people were going to use it for warlike reasons and all this other stuff. And it was just like, is this does this really make sense given what we saw of the guardian before it, you know, are you man, machine, neither both? Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to think back to City on the on the Edge of Forever, and mm-hmm. wasn't that Guardian? Hadn't that been on the planet for like centuries or something? I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't. Since so, before your son burned hot in space, and so before it's not your race like, was born. <laughs> so yeah. it's not like you know, ten years earlier or somewhere else. Yeah. Or nine hundred years in the future, it, whatever. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. No. It was. It was. It was like you say. It's because. The Guardian is a thing. Star Trek fans know. And they had to get uh, Giorgio out of there and into the Section 31 TV series. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, I again, liked it's, it. I thought it was a nice little. I'm I'm a fan. Give me fan service. <laughs> the thing is, there's good fan service and there's yeah. bad fan service, right? I don't want to. If we start comparing, like I think Mandalorian does fan service really well. Yes. I think Star Trek Discovery does it not so well. But we could be here for another two hours if we wanted to compare those oranges and apples. Well, I mean, so. it's it's one thing to do fan service, writing it into a episode, but when you force it into an episode, right? That's when it doesn't work. Like, that's hey, right. we got to have something in here just to have something in here. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Which I, I keep beating this to death, but that to me is the biggest downfall of Discovery is you feel the writers just trying to cram these things in. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, this is the idea, but it's got to fit into this continuity and this has to fit with this and we'll change this. And uh, yeah, it's like a Mandalorian, like Luke appearing when he did. It's like, okay, it makes sense. Beautiful. Yeah. You know, there were things that built up to that. Or Boba Fett showing up. Well, right. it, All right. it made yeah. sense. Explain to there me how in- Boba Fett survived the Sarlacc pit. How did that make sense? I mean, he, he was- had his armor. It spit him out. He got his guns and everything else. He blew his way out of it. Climbed out of the pit. <laughs> yeah, I was okay with that. I was okay with that. And I love the fact that they didn't retailer his armor. I like that he's older and ponchier, yeah. still wearing the same <laughs> damn armor that doesn't fit right. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, good. Explaining good. the unexplainable. Yeah, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Love that's the unlovable. What, what we fans I do. love Star Trek Discovery. That's what we fans do. <laughs> there's, there's hardly any crying in The Mandalorian, which is also a plus. Not in my household. I cry almost every episode. Oh, yeah. Well, no, within oh, the yeah. I mean, all the Mandalorian the crying, is crying is in the Cacos household. <laughs> I'm crying right now, you guys, talking shit about Star Trek Discovery, too. You're going to have to blurt that out. bring up Bob. Batman versus Superman. You said it, not oh, me. Yeah. I wasn't going to see the BS word. <laughs> Why did you say that name? Yeah. <laughs> Notoriously, uh, Lord Bloodraw, they are against Batman versus Superman, whereas that's one of my favorite oh. superhero movies. So, really, is it? Yes. I'm sorry to be shocked by it. <laughs> <but> I am. <laughs> well, here we go. Well, we Karen and I give him crap about it pretty much every other episode or so. <laughs> oh, oh Lord. Okay. No comment. We love him. You, you. You can come back. We'll do a whole episode on it if you want. <laughs> Yeah, oh, we uh, can go ahead and come back. I'm going to sit that one out. No, yeah, I was going to say no thanks because I, I would have to rewatch it. Then. <laughs> well, on that note, we're coming oh, up no. on the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for those of you listening, uh, thank you. Um, we're going to um, go in a different direction before we get to our sensor sweep. Uh, the news that came out this week uh, was about Fry's Electronics going the way of the Dodo. I know Bob was a big fan of the different stores going down to Monster Palooza. We'd all hit the Fry's Electronics down there in the retro 50s uh, sci-fi displays and whatnot but bob go ahead and give us some some memories that you have of the local 
uh, and afar uh, visits to Fry's. And we'll do a Red Robin. We'll, we'll go around to all of uh, our panel today. Well, you know, Fry's stores, they started like in 2006. And they expanded, I think, 2019. They were like in 30 different cities throughout the country. But I know recently I had gone into one in Sunnyvale. I used to work in Sunnyvale. And I was pretty close to that fries, so I would go there during lunch. And uh, I went in one day, and it was like half the shelves were empty. And I asked one of the employees, hey, what's going, what's going on with your stock? And they're like, oh, we're restocking. It's no big deal. But you could kind of, you could kind of see the beginning of the end. But, you know, fries, I mean, you know, say what you will about Walmart or Best Buy or any of those. Fry's was the coolest one because you could go in there. I used to do audiovisual install for about 10 years and I used to go into Fry's just to get things on emergency basis and you could find, you know, circuit boards and you could find, you know, cables and adapters and ends and, you know, everything along with a pretty cool video uh, section, CD section you know, your home stereo section or home, you know, theater section. Uh, and again, yeah, I mean, going down to Monster Palooza in Burbank and that fry, that was like the best fries ever because it had oh, yeah. uh, just an amazing, amazing assortment because all the fries stores were themed. Mm-hmm. And that one, like Larry said, was like B sci fi movie themed. And you'd walk in and there was a big, a statue of a Gort type robot holding a woman and they had army men with giant ants hanging from the ceilings and you have this big octopus type creature over in one section, the computer section. Uh, I think there, there was also like a, there was a UFO flying saucer crashed into the front of the building and then there was another one like the, the underside of it inside the store uh, and just, you know, a lot, there's a little drive-in over in the corner, mm-hmm. really cool store. And other stores were Western themes or Egyptian, or I think there was one in uh, Texas that was like NASA themed. And, uh, you know, so it was a fun store and it's for, for it to suddenly just poof, disappear, uh, is really kind of heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Now we had a customer at a place I worked at. A uh, person named Brian Ray, and uh, he'd come in all the time. And he had this really cool, deep voice, and we'd be like, "Man, that's a cool voice." Well, it turned out he was the uh, the voice of Fries. Your Best Buys are always at Fries, guaranteed. <laughs> and he would do all those commercials for them. And uh, you know, you'd be watching the TV, and hey, there's a Fries commercial. Hey, it's Brian. <laughs> and he even did an Ultraman commercial for us when we did the Ultraman show at the Castro theater back in 2005. And he did a commercial. I'll have to see if I can dig it out and we'll, I'll put it in the episode somewhere. But fries was just such a cool store. I mean, we're slow. We're very quickly losing stores that you can just go in and browse in for hours. You know, you can go into fries and look through the video section You go, Oh, I'll take a look at, what new computers are out or what screens are out or I'll go back and see, you know, telescopes and what, you know, they had like everything, appliances. And, 
don't, it's just, you know, it's sad to see it go, but I'm, I'm sure everyone here has memories of fries and. Oh yeah. Indeed. Lord blood Rye, you got some memories you'd like to share. Yeah. Well, just to echo what Bob said, it was always the place where if you were looking for some kind of weird adapter or cable that you're not going to be able to just, you know, pick up anywhere else and you don't want to wait for it to be delivered you go to fries and they're gonna have it you know and for the last couple of christmases that was like a one-stop shop because they had you know gift items electronics just everything everything Mm -hmm. there and it was it was it was just a great store it um this week as a matter of fact when i heard the news fries was closing i went to the one in sunnyvale and I was shocked because I was thinking they're going to have like a blowout sale so I could pick up some blank DVDs so I could, you know, burn my DVDs and all, the, and all that stuff and pick up whatever, you know, they're doing on discount. No, they were shut. No last minute sales, nothing. They are gone. Yeah, yeah. And I was I was shocked by that. And it's it's really sad. I, enjoy, I enjoyed that store a lot. And like you say, actual stores that you walk into and can browse around and just uh you know do the the old impulse buy thing right they're going they're going away well people talk about amazon and that it's like yeah sure everything's on amazon but yeah there's something about walking down the aisle and something catches your eye and you can pick it up and look and you know even like browsing dvds and blu-rays yeah you know that sounds like an interesting title and you pick it up and you read the spine and say hey this i'll take a chance on this Right, you know, right. Um, you lose that when you when you browse online, basically. Absolutely true. Yeah. True, Karen. Oh yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I mean, here in Phoenix, uh, there was a fries that uh, I'd gone to a few times. Uh, looked like a they had like a Aztec pyramid type moat with uh, similar stuff inside. I remember buying a, um, a lightsaber <laughs> in there, I think at Christmas time one year, you know, it was one of those, um, one of the really nice uh, light kind of, who made those master props or something. Anyway, it was a pretty expensive, nice lightsaber. Uh, but yeah, most of my fondest memories are of the Burbank one with the Crashed saucer and you know Gort, the little Godzilla diorama and everything. Always visiting that when we would go to Monster Palooza. Um, just one of the most unique stores you would ever go into. So, true. you know, losing that—it's it, really true. It's like we're we're losing all of these unique places and getting just sort of more of a bland, generic shopping experience. Mm-hmm, um, true. It's really sad to see it go. Well, the only brick and mortars we're going to have is going to be strip malls. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. To to me, it was like, you know, you shop at your grocery store and then you go to Costco. To me, it was like, yeah, you had Radio Shack, but you go to Fry's and it's like, oh, my God. You Mm -hmm. know, what a drastic difference. Not just the selection of items, whether it's a circuit board or a DVD or a lightsaber, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Uh, the the one that I would visit had a Tesla coil in the middle of the store, and and it had a history of Tesla. Um, yeah, that was the, out the person, in uh, not, car. not Milpitas, but it was up uh, off of five eighty, right? The one up there, yeah, it's, uh, off of the six eighty in um, six eighty. That's right. Um, Union City area, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fremont, I think. Yeah, Fremont. There you go. It's Fremont. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and, and all this stuff was themed, you know, it was like going to a themed restaurant. You know, all the different fries had themes. I don't know if it was the one in Arizona, Karen, but there was one that had like an alien and a predator. <sighs> I don't know where that was, if it was just for the film or, or whatever. Maybe I'm dreaming about it, too. <laughs> well, if you, if you ever went into a fries store and saw their mascot walking around, you know, the mascot was like the chip. The chip, yeah. Dennis Lancaster, friend of the show, mm-hmm. made all those. Oh wow! He spent he spent yeah. years doing nothing but making mascots for fry stores, and some they were cool. all themed. They had like westerns one western ones. He had a mm-hmm. quote swamp creature one that was like creature from Black Lagoon as a chip, and you know they did quite a few. And uh, so his his job basically he does mascots, but his job for a long time was making the mascots for fries and repairing them and adding pieces to them. But, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, we can go around Robin real quick. And what was the coolest thing you ever bought at fries? Everybody's thinking. I actually think I bought the camera that I film my shows with. If I remember (laughs) right. Wow. Remember, I think I, I at least shopped for the camera at a fries, whether I bought it at the fries or ordered it somewhere else. I don't know. The coolest thing I bought at fries, though, it's probably some great DVD collection that I can't even put my hand on right now, I think, because that was that was one of the main things I went in for was to like browse DVDs and then get the connectors and cords and everything that I need. Yeah. Karen, I would just get like connectors, cords, and blank DVDs. I never bought like a like a big ticket item, you know, like a refrigerator or you know TV or anything like that. Well, it doesn't have to be big to be cool. <laughs> blank, blank DVDs. Um, <laughs> Karen, was it the lightsaber? The lights. Yeah, the lightsaber is the only thing I can think of. Wow. Yeah, I. Uh, I think you know my biggest thing at fries i think was uh when we used to collect and trade japanese animation and that we had the gachiman movie that was like one of the first ones we got and it was like a ninth generation dv or ninth generation vhs tape that was all snowy and glitchy and only in japanese but we were watching the hell out of it (laughs) and i went into fries one day and there was the gachiman movie on blu-ray Mm. Oh, it was like calling out to me. It was like one of those things where you don't shop prices, you don't question it. It's there, you grab it. Mm-hmm. And it was like a religious experience watching this movie after you know, <laughs> 20, 30 years later. And you know, here it is, crystal clear. But no, they definitely had a lot of like DVDs. <laughs> they had a lot of DVDs and Blu rays that, you know, other stores didn't carry. A lot of, you know, offbeat titles and things that uh, yeah. it was great to browse in there. Yeah, it, it was it was something else. It was an experience. It, it will be missed. It oh, will yeah. be missed. I will miss that store, definitely. Well, uh, it is that part in the program where we have our sensor sweep and Lord Blood Raw. Uh, we would like to see if you have any uh, things you'd like to share with uh, us and our listeners. Well, the biggest thing I have going on right now is the Lord Blood Draw Patreon, mm. which is uh, there. There are two levels. I'm trying to keep it keep it simple. 
basically for a $5 level, you can get a signed photograph and access to a monthly newsletter, basically talking about the updates for the show and mm. early notice on various things. For mm-hmm. a $10 level, and I'm really excited about this, I'm doing a brand new weekly show called Lord Blood Draws Cathode Zone. And I'm going to be hosting uh, old episodes of science fiction, horror, and supernatural TV. Mm. And for $10, you get you get uh, what I said before, uh, access to the weekly TV show and a Lord or Lady, Geek Lord or Lady certificate. Nice. Pronouncing you officially a Geek Lord or Geek Lady. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm really excited about, about this new series because I love, you know, there was so much great classic TV series, especially in horror and science fiction that you just really, it's kind of hard to find access to, you know, things like Roll Dahl's Way Out and uh, One Step Beyond is kind of everywhere, but Mm -hmm. uh, Lights Out, the TV show that was based on the old radio show, Suspense, Mm -hmm. uh, the same thing. So, uh, yeah, that's the big thing. So it's uh, Lord Blood Draw on Patreon and uh, $10 a month gets you access to a brand new weekly show. Awesome. Uh, that is uh, cool. I know my friend Matt O'Sullivan is going to just like, he's always talking about Lord Blood Raw, and I'm like, oh, wait till you get the Patreon, Matt. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. That's great. Don't, don't thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, it has been a pleasure. And, uh, you know, we'll come up with something in the near future, Lord Blood Raw, where we can bring you back. Appreciate you spending time with us here on Planet 8. Hey, it's always um, a pleasure. It's always, it's always great to geek out on Planet 8. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet eight podcast we want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode we look forward to your input and opinions until next time this is planet eight signing off end transmission by george he's got it it is the end Bay Area Film Events, in conjunction with Subaraya Productions, presents the return of a classic hero in an all-new motion picture. Ultraman, the next. Be part of a two-day festival of Ultraman movies and TV episodes at the Castro Theater, August 26th and 27th. For advance tickets, go to BayAreaFilmEvents.com.
Understandment, status report. Spore drive is online and ready to go, Captain. Black alert, please. Oh, shit. Hey, you didn't tell me about the spinning part. <laughs>